1010XL is presented by Farrah and Farrah, exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Protecting you and your family. Call 396-5555. Jacksonville. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark in for the vacationing Rick Ballou. 1010XL and 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. I always feel like I need to say in for the vacationing Rick Ballou because it's like last week I took, you know, one night off last Friday and I get like four or five tweets right at 8 o'clock. Hacker, you with the radio station? What's going on, man? Well, yeah, I'm at the radio station. I'm, I'm taking a vacation day. We can take vacation days. Doesn't Just because we're not here for one day doesn't mean we're gone. So relax. Rick Ballou will be back at 6 o'clock on Monday. I'll be after him at 8 o'clock, our normal four-hour window here in the evenings on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. But we have made it to the end of the work week. And boy, what an interesting time it is in sports. The NBA is really heating up. Spring training begins in Major League Baseball. It's a big weekend of college basketball and the NFL scouting combine. Next week up in Indianapolis, they release the times for the press conferences. In fact, Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke will meet the media next week up in Indianapolis on Tuesday afternoon. And then, of course, we are officially today 17 days away from NFL free agency. We are absolutely jam-packed tonight, as you would expect. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Eric's covered the draft for years. He's with NFL.com. Need I say more? We'll talk combine. We'll talk Jaguars with Eric Edholm. That comes up in about a little under 15 minutes. Also, later on in the 6 o'clock hour, we'll go down to Gainesville. My buddy Graham Hall, 247sports.com, covering the Florida Gators. Big weekend for Florida basketball. We'll talk a little Florida baseball as their season is underway. And I want to talk about the lack of expectation around this football team heading into 2024. I have seen three publications this week that are predicting Florida to not go to a bowl game for the second straight year. Yikes. I think Florida's going to have a better team than they did last year. I just think that schedule is absolutely brutal, arguably the toughest schedule in the history of Florida football. So we'll do all that with Graham Hall. That comes up towards the end of the 6 o'clock hour. But as we do every night to kick it off, here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night, and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so the National Football League earlier today gave all 32 teams some really good news, as a matter of fact. The projection for the NFL salary cap 
was $242 million. That's why when you went to websites like Pro Football Focus, when you went to Spot Track, when you went to all these different overthecap.coms, right, the reason they had teams with a certain amount of money to spend was they were going off the projection of $242 million. The NFL today said, no, it's going to exceed that. The cap is actually going to be $255 million. Translation, every team in the National Football League now has $13 million more to play with in free agency. I know there was some confusion earlier because the cap last year was at 224 or 225, I guess. It's going to 255. So, yes, it is going up 30 million. But the Jaguars, when you heard the $11 million under the cap number, that was based off the projection of 242. So, you take the 242, you add 13 million to it to 255. And the Jaguars now all of a sudden go from $11 million under the cap to roughly $24 million under the cap. Although every team benefits from this. Every team now has an additional $13 million in salary cap space. What does that mean? Well, it means the Jaguars can maybe be a little more aggressive than they were planning to be in free agency. It means the Jaguars can have a little more fun spending some money in free agency. 11 million was nice, 24 million is better. That puts the Jaguars 19th in the league. So there are what? 12 teams, I guess, 13 teams that have less money than them. So they're almost right in the middle of the pack. In the AFC South though, they're dead last. Everybody else in the South, the Colts, the Texans, and the Titans all have more money to spend this offseason. In fact, Tennessee has something ridiculous, like $78 million to spend. Tennessee is going to be what Jacksonville was two years ago. Tennessee is going to sign four, five, maybe even six guys that first 48 to 72 hours of free agency, if they so choose. They may not do that, but they have the opportunity to do that. Uh, As far as Jacksonville, bringing it back locally, we don't know about Cam Robinson yet. We don't know about Darius Williams yet, but hypothetically, hypothetically, if you were to cut Cam Robinson and Darius Williams, that's $28 million in cap savings just for those two guys, which then all of a sudden Jacksonville would have $52 million in cap savings under the cap, and then they could be very active in free agency. The problem is are you going to find a left tackle that's better than Cam Robinson? And are you going to find a starting corner better than Darius Williams? I don't know. You're compounding issues, right? Your roster already wasn't good enough to make the playoffs. And if you start cutting guys like Cam Robinson, who was clearly your best offensive lineman at times last year, you start cutting guys like Darius Williams, even though his price tag's big, I don't know if that's the best thing to do. You could do it, but I'm not sure if that's the way to go. Other guys that we've seen that potentially could be cap casualties, Rayshon Jenkins, Brandon Sheriff, Foley Fadakasi, um, guys of that sort. I've seen Zay Jones. 
I think PFF had Zay Jones as a prime candidate to be cut. Although with Zay Jones, I disagree with that to an extent. You're not saving that much money, and you got to make sure what's going on with Calvin Ridley before you do anything like that when it comes to Zay Jones. So how active are the Jaguars going to be in free agency? Again, the NFL gave them a gift today with the salary cap being higher than expected. Jacksonville woke up this morning with $11 million in under the cap room. Now they have $24 million in under the cap room. What does that mean for Josh Allen? What does that mean for Calvin Ridley? What does that mean for Ezra Cleveland? All great questions. And all questions we're going to get answers to in the next 17 days prior to Monday, March the 11th. You're already seeing teams do some things like Miami this afternoon, Emmanuel Ogba and Xavier Howard both cut. Now Miami's problem is they are well over the cap. They're cutting guys to get under the cap by the start of the league year. Again, the league year starts March 13th. The legal tampering period is March the 11th. You've got to be under the cap in the next 19 days. So Miami, who's over the cap, is starting to have to make some tough choices. And they're cutting two of their better defensive players. Now, both guys have had injury issues, particularly Xavier Howard. He is not the guy that he was two or three years ago. Still probably didn't want to cut him. It probably hurt to cut him, but the Dolphins did what they had to do. Uh, You saw Mason Cole get cut today in Pittsburgh. Demarcus Robinson, the former Gator out in L.A., got re-signed to a one-year deal. You're going to start seeing this more and more as we get into the combine, and then you're going to see a ton of it the week prior to March the 11th when the NFL free agency window opens. My guess for the Jaguars, Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson meet the media next Tuesday up in Indianapolis. Maybe they got a lot of things planned, and they'll probably do it after they meet with the media so that they simply don't have to answer those questions. Very similar to when Doug Peterson fired, what, seven defensive coaches the Monday after the final game against Tennessee when three hours prior he said he didn't know if he was going to fire anybody. I guess in three hours he made that decision. No, he just didn't want to talk to the media about it. I don't fault him for that. That's just the way things go, the way thing guys do things. So I think Cam Robinson – um, guys of that sort, Josh Allen franchise tag. I think a lot of that stuff will likely be done after Balky and Peterson meet with the media next week so they don't have to address it up there in Indianapolis. It is a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're glad you're with us. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Again, we'll go down to Gainesville, Graham Hall, 24-7 sports, talking Gator hoops, a little Gator baseball, a little Gator football, That comes up in about 30 minutes or so. Coming up next, Eric Edholm, NFL.com. He has covered the draft for years. I want to talk Jags. I want to talk some of the Jaguar young players. And I also want to look at this draft class. It's heading to Indianapolis for the Combine next week. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Coming up next. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, the NFL offseason 
really picking up. Franchise tags can be handed out anytime between now and March the 5th. So we're on Josh Allen watch here in Jacksonville, the scouting combine next week up in Indianapolis, and we are two and a half weeks away from NFL free agency. With all that being said, Eric Edholm, NFL.com, does a terrific job covering not only the NFL, but the NFL draft, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Like you said, just getting ready for uh, combine, for agency, a lot going on for uh, – for the season having just ended, but here we are. Yeah, it never ends. It's the never-ending cycle in the National Football League. And, Eric, the last time you and I spoke was about midseason. And, man, at that point, the Jaguars, things <laughs> were great, right? Eight yeah. and three. They were the number one seed uh, for a couple of hours there in week 12. And good grief, <laughs> losing five out of six. A lot of questions going into the offseason. Eric, what do you make of in totality of what the Jaguars did or I guess did not do in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think there there probably were some warning signs along the way. Obviously, you know, kind of the the early season setbacks. Uh, I was Kansas City, Houston, and then you know the 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 post buy loss to to the Niners. Now, look, no shame in losing to them, but I think it was the way it happened that was maybe more unsettling, especially um, you know not taking care of business in in home games in general, but but certainly that one as well, and and. You just sort of felt like if if Trevor kept getting hit the way he was and, you know, for a tough kid who hadn't really, you know, missed time in the NFL for him to have to go into two or three games where we weren't sure if he was going to start, you know, that was, I think, a big part of it, his health and well-being. I think it kind of limited what the offense could do, what the passing game could do. And, you know, just sort of felt like there was still some meat on the bone with that Calvin Ridley connection. You know, defensively, they were – takeaway dependent you know a little bit too much maybe so even with some positive developments along the way it certainly was trumped by the fact that you know they, they just didn't put it all together and like you said that 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 cold december just obviously did them in and you know maybe maybe we could have seen some of it coming but not the way it unfolded i don't think yeah i believe they're only the sixth team since the year 2000 to begin eight and three and to miss mm. the postseason yeah. it's not good Eric, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Where are you right now with Trevor going into year number four? Yeah, I mean, I, I had kind of a throwaway comment. I should have realized a little bit better the other day when I wrote it that I said, you know, if you, if you kind of step back and squint to just look at kind of the production and the numbers, I mean, there really isn't a whole lot separating Trevor Lawrence's numbers through three years than there were um, uh, Carson Wentz through three years. And I only mentioned him because, you know, Doug had, had both guys. And look, I obviously the, the positive step forward in year two was massive, right? It, it raised the bar uh, after a, you know, a loss, a total loss of a rookie season in a lot of ways for the franchise. And, um, you know, Doug was able to, to, to coax out some terrific play from, from not just Trevor, but from the offense in general. And, you know, last season definitely felt like a step back in some regards, but certainly the protection has to get better. I mean, that, that, that has to be part of any off season plan they construct. And I don't know how it gets done, but it's got to get done in one way or the other. And, you know, until that happens, I don't know that we can get the full picture. Um, I like Trevor. I think he's obviously got an amazing skill set. We, we, at his best, he can be very good. But the fumbles, the turnovers, that's really where 
the the Wentz comparison came from. That was always a big bugaboo for him. He could make plays, right? Prior to that injury in 2017, we're talking about an MVP candidate. Now he's a guy who can barely get a job. So I'm not saying that's the road we're going down. I'm just saying, hey, if you take a closer look, there's there's a little bit ugly there too. But I I'm not ready to write him off at all. I think there's there's a lot of promise, and you know you you can't assume that one year is sort of indicative of a direction a guy is heading. Guys have setback seasons all the time. Look at Jalen Hurts. Look at other quarterbacks around the league. You know Lamar last year. You know prior to the, the, this past season. We were wondering whether the Ravens would even put the full court press towards keeping them. So these kind of things happen, and there's absolutely going to be an opportunity, especially in this division, to uh, to have a bounce back here. Eric Edholm, NFL.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Eric, one of the positives, I guess, amidst that losing of five of six at the end of the year was Trayvon Walker. It really looked like Trayvon Walker, yeah. with all those losses, started to find himself a little bit. What was your take on his year? Yeah, it was important for, for them to see. Obviously, in Hutchinson, he's always going to get compared to him, you know, whether it's fair or not. You know, those are the two guys that were, you know, kind of bandied about atop that draft class. And, you know, it was it was an against-the-grain choice. You know, it was made with conviction, but it, but it came with doubters, people, and especially with the way Aiden's played. So seeing him kind of thrive down the stretch and, you know, he was always going to be somebody you had to kind of learn on the fly, you know, with his age and inexperience and, you know, having been shifted around a lot in college, as far as what position he played. Now he's got a home and assuming, you know, again, we don't know if Josh is going to be able to, you know, remain on the other side for the, the next several years. We'll see, but if they can make it work and that has to be another priority, I would think that really could be one of the great pass rushing duos. And we saw the the potential of it down the stretch. So yeah, very important. I mean, anytime you have the number one pick in a draft and uh, well, certainly in back-to-back years, but you know, you have to see something more than just a good player. They have to, they have to be a game changer. And I would say without those, that little hot stretch, Maybe we're coming into year three saying, what is he exactly? Is he is he just a good, solid, all-around young player, or is he somebody who's got electric pass rush ability? And I don't know that I'm quite there yet, but, again, very promising, and, and they had to see it. Yeah, Trayvon Walker ending with 10 sacks here in yep. the 2023 season. Eric, obviously this offseason revolves around two guys for the Jaguars, Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley. There's not a chance to me they let Josh Allen get out of here. They're going to either right. sign him long-term or he's going to be franchised by March 5th. That does complicate things for Calvin Ridley, though, because if they franchise Allen, Ridley probably hits the market on the 11th. What is your thought on Calvin Ridley? And in your opinion, how vital is he for the Jaguars to bring back? Yeah, I mean, I if I had to place a higher value on one of the two right now, I would probably say Josh, but... He's an interesting case. Obviously, he's, he's had an unusual NFL career in totality. I mean, superstar ability in Atlanta, um, two different absences for two very different reasons. Maybe they're connected, but still, I mean, you know, two sort of separate incidents, if you will. Um, comes to Jacksonville in unusual circumstances. They make the trade and, and have to sort of sit and wait for him a little bit. And there was so much excitement build up. Like, this, this is going to be his guy. They have some very good receivers but he's the difference maker and 
you know, they just had too many missed connections, right? Obviously, they they produced some fireworks. There were times when you felt like, okay, this is starting to cook a little bit. But then he'd have a, a one-catch or a two-catch game or, a you know, an eight-target, four-catch game, what have you. I mean, again, I'm just rallying off the top of my head. But, you know, you saw too many of those things, especially in those those big moments when they had to have it. And, you know, third downs, fourth downs, fourth quarter, what have you, red zone. Um, it just – we didn't see the full picture of what that could be. Some of it was the limitations of the pass protection. Some of it was Trevor and the turnovers. Some of it was – probably on Calvin and I don't know it's it's a tough call I think you have more information and more of a bedrock sort of base with with Allen a little more faith because you've seen it over a longer period of time and if they let him go then all of a sudden you add wide receiver to the list and say they probably need one more major weapon because I don't know that he's the only receiver who who from last year's group who may not be back You've covered the draft for years. You're very good at it, obviously, with NFL.com. Quickly, before we look at the 24 draft class, back to the 23 draft class, Anton Harrison. Um, I didn't know much about him when the Jaguars took him at 27 last year. I found out pretty quick the Jaguars might have gotten a really good one. I thought, Eric, that his rookie season was very, very solid. What was your impression of him? Yeah, I mean – watching him in college there were some tapes that absolutely stood out where you said all right I I I can see why people are excited about him and then there were others where you wondered boy is is he going to be kind of a hot and cold player some weeks he's great other weeks he's not that's what held me back with him as a prospect I think I had him 40 something overall 41st third whatever Um, so I was maybe a little lower on him than other people but I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I think the way he was kind of thrown in there and, you know, obviously it's, it's a tough assignment as a, as a rookie uh, pass blocker out there, but for him to start 17 games and, and, you know, kind of do what he did, I think was, was pretty impressive. Um, there's, there's certainly a, a higher ceiling for, for what he did, but yeah, I mean, I, it ended up being a, a pretty pretty savvy uh, pick as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not afraid to admit when I uh, – if I'm not 100% on a guy, you know, then I'll look back and say, there's where I miss. So uh, they got that one right. They have to keep adding to that group inside and out, I believe. And, you know, in one off season, you can you – can, you can change the the, the outlook of a, of a group, especially the offensive line. I would say secondary, you know, same thing. But, you know, one or two pieces can kind of bring the whole thing all together. Eric at home, final moments, NFL.com. Eric, obviously, the 2024 draft. we got the combine next week, Senior Bowl already in the rearview mirror. This thing's just rolling along. How would you assess the class as a whole? Strong, average, weak? What are your thoughts in totality? What? What stands out immediately is the, the the strength of the quarterback position. I mean, obviously, it you know, th- there may not be that that Trevor or Andrew Luck level sure thing, no questions asked, number one pick. But the fact that the Bears are being connected to multiple quarterbacks at one and that both are probably better than the offerings, at least pre-draft that we had a year ago. I know C.J. Stroud obviously turned in a, a tremendous rookie or one of the best rookie seasons ever by a quarterback. But, you know, if you were to sort of get the polling and talk to 10 or 15 executives what they thought of those guys coming in, I think it still would be higher this year with the top two. Plus, you have Jaden Daniels and you have J.J. McCarthy and 
Bo Nix, Michael Penix. I mean, that that right there is, I think, where you start with any draft. How strong is the quarterback class? For teams like the Jaguars that have that position, at least temporarily, I mean, for the time being taken care of, that's a good thing. The more quarterbacks to go before their first pick, the the better off they're probably going to be as far as who ends up in, in, their, in their laps. And it's definitely an offensive-leaning draft. We may not have a defensive player who's taken in the top – uh, you know, eight or 12 picks. It's hard to know right now, but it wouldn't be shocking if we go the first seven or eight choices and it's all offense. And round one's going to be heavy on offense. Receivers, tackles, quarterbacks, et cetera. I, I would say that there's there's some pass rush depth. There's some secondary depth. But that, by and large, uh, the strength of this class, other than, say, tight end and maybe running back, is definitely on the offensive side of the ball this year. So as for how it grades compared to other classes, I usually have a better idea on that going into like March and April, take that sort of 20,000 foot view. But right now, I mean, it looks like a pretty good class, even if it is slanted offensively. You know, this could change obviously with free agency and what the Jaguars do, but you alluded to it earlier. I need some big uglies on the line of scrimmage, right? Either O-line or D-line. I need a 315-pounder in round one and maybe round two, again, depending on what the Jags do in free agency. At 17, but people down here love Jackson Powers Johnson, I think mainly because they're done with Luke Fortner. Uh, So that's a a double double whammy right there. But what's your thought on the Jags at 17, maybe your interior O-line, and then how is the depth and interior defensive line later on in the draft? Yeah, and there's some tackles too who may be projected inside in in the league. And again, I know the, you know the Jaguars are are big on length and things like that, and uh, youth obviously is is great too. So that may limit them somewhat. But I think there are definitely some some offensive tackles who could switch over to guard. Um, as far as the guard class, I mean there are guys who could probably play both positions. I don't know that there's a true guard who can who can crack round one, but unless you consider Powers, uh, uh, Jackson Powers Johnson is one, or uh, Troy Fatanu, the left tackle from Washington, who I think most people are going to say belongs inside. So it's interesting. I mean, I would say at center, there are probably, I'd have to, there, there may be more than that. Graham Barton from Duke and a couple other guys, but, you know, there may only be three or four starting centers in this entire class, true centers, you know, so. Maybe it's a Zach Frazier early round two and from West Virginia, or, you know, Barton is a possibility. Does he beat their benchmarks? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a pretty good group of I mean, it's a darn good group of offensive tackles, although there is a drop off. I don't I don't know that I'm quite as enamored with the the later options. I don't know the depth is amazing, but at the top it looks good. Guard could be solid, but more of your day two options i would say later in day two especially and then center there are a couple real standouts um jpj being one of them you know frazier's a a big he's sort of this year's john michael schmitz a lot of people like him in the scouting community i'd be shocked if he got out of round two at this point uh cedric van pran from georgia just up the road i think is a you know good starting sec uh center who could be a you know maybe a third round pick in this year's class or something like that so the options are there. It just depends on what positions they project them to be in the NFL. And 
and who's available when they when they come to pick. It's not glamorous, right? It's not going to sell a lot of season tickets, but after week 18 and what Tennessee did to Jacksonville on both lines of scrimmage, the Jaguars need to get tougher in the trenches. Yep. There's no question about that. Eric, leave us with this. I know the combine next week, you guys will be all over it at NFL.com. What can the good folks here in Jacksonville look forward to over there on the website? Yeah, I've got a little bit of a preview piece coming up, uh, projecting who might run the fastest 40-yard dash. Of course, usually receivers, corners, occasional running back. So uh, I'll have that one up, uh, I think, at some point, either by Friday or, or by Monday, certainly. And then, um, yeah, just kind of combing through the the GM and coach stuff on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the players as well. And, you know, whatever happens at night gets filtered into the stories too, right? The interesting uh, swapping of information that goes on there. So it's a busy week. It's a fun week. It's a long week, but we'll have it covered. Eric at home, NFL.com. Eric, I know you're busy, man. Thank you as always. We'll do it again soon. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing Thank phone you. line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, the Florida Gators had a great opportunity on Wednesday night at number 13, Alabama. Could not get it done. Alabama wins the game in overtime. That's one of those games that worries you. Don't let it beat you twice. Florida now with two very winnable games against Vanderbilt and Missouri. They're still in very good shape. You just hope they don't have a hangover effect from such a tough loss. Let's get into that. A little baseball, so a little Gator football with our guy Graham Hall, 247sports.com. He is one of our guys in Gainesville, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Graham, how we doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's always good to be here, Ryan. Hey, Graham, always appreciate the conversation, man. And that was a tough one Wednesday night. Florida was up 10 in the second half. They had every opportunity to win, but I guess you got to give Alabama credit. That's why they're one of the best teams in the country as they found a way to get it done in overtime. Yeah, and it's so difficult to win on the road in college basketball in general, especially when you're going on the road and facing a ranked team in a place that is a hostile venue and against one of the nation's best shooting teams. I mean, arguably the best offense in college basketball, certainly in the metrics point there. The Gators were number 10 in adjusted offensive efficiency going into that game, and they looked like the better team early on. They connected on four of their first seven three-point attempts, obviously finished the first half one of nine from long range there. It was a back-and-forth contest in the second half, but I think some of the disappointment clearly was that Florida was able to build a double-digit, a 10-point lead there in the second half against an Alabama team that was missing one of their key contributors, a guy who you know, had a head injury in Monday's practice and was held out for precautionary reasons. But someone who had also in Latrell had had what 16 points and three steals the other night for the Crimson Tide. So certainly was an opportunity for Florida to get a much, you know, needed victory to pad their resume. If they want to make a push up to one of those top four seeds in the NCAA tournament. And as you mentioned, you know, there were opportunities there down the stretch to win the game. I know that Florida fans will certainly point to some 50-50 calls that didn't go their way. I, I think Alabama fans may want to, you know, say the same thing. That's just the state of officiating in college basketball right now, in my mind. You're going to have to find a way to overcome the zebras a lot of the time, regardless of who you are. And it's hard to get calls on the road. Everybody knows that. But certainly was a game that Florida could have won. I think that the way that they started overtime was maybe the biggest difference maker in the contest. You know, earlier in the season, Florida had won their first three overtime games, had beat Michigan 
back on December 19 in a game that took two overtimes to finish that one in the Jumpman Invitational. Then Florida had back-to-back overtime games, one on the road and one against Kentucky, beat Georgia in overtime. The way they had started those overtime games, though, they were the hot team coming out of the gate. But this time, Alabama scores the first seven points of overtime, forces Florida to call timeout. They don't score until Walter Clayton goes to the free throw line with 228 remaining midway through the overtime period. They are able to trim into the deficit, make it a one-point game. But, you know, rebounding was a critical factor in this game. Alabama was able to get 10 more rebounds than the Gators were in that contest, and they come up with – uh, an, an offensive rebound there in the final 10 seconds that just goes right to Aaron Estrada, who had a great game. He puts it back up, and Florida just unable to get a shot off that, that was able to fall there at the other end at the buzzer. And, and that's just, you know, sometimes how it's going to go. I, I think that if you're a Florida fan and you watch the game, you have to be impressed with the fight this team has shown, how they've improved down the stretch. But certainly I can understand why you're, you know, waking up today and it feels like a missed opportunity. Graham Hall, 247sports.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. I always worry about those games, Graham, as a hangover effect. That was a tough loss. Now, Florida plays, quite frankly, a bad Vanderbilt team at home. They should win, although you don't want to say anything's a definite in the Southeastern Conference. So if there is any silver lining, uh, they have a couple of home games against what is considered to be the two worst teams in the SEC to get back on track. Yeah, I think that always is a, is a relief for you and, and you have a chance to, you know, get one back. You know, it's not the end of your season at this point. You always have several more chances to continue padding your resume. And Florida's still sitting here at, what, 18-8. and eight. I think if you told Florida fans at the beginning of the season that they were going to be on the cusp of 21-22 victories, uh, you, you would have taken that. Even if there have been some games, you know, early on in the season that if they were at full strength and not having Zion pulling for that Virginia game, of course, several other occurrences where they were still figuring out the the best rotation, having Riley Kugel come off the bench, a guy in Riley Kugel last night who, who just played, you know, less than three minutes in that contest. If you had told them that they were going to be a team that was going to win 22 games, I think a lot of people would have taken that, especially to have a chance to secure a top four seed in the sec, which is still possible for this Florida team. And as you mentioned, this final six-game slate of the schedule is very favorable for the Gators. They get Vanderbilt twice in the final five games, play Missouri, a team that has yet to win an SEC contest sitting at the bottom of the table um, in the SEC. So certainly this is you know a chance for Florida to continue getting some resume-boosting wins and, and maintain their status as one of these top 30, top 25 teams in the nation. But you, you kind of just nailed it. You can't take any game for granted in the sec just the coaching the talent across the board i mean florida saw how talented missouri can be uh, when bates had what 35 points or whatever it was against them nearly a month ago when they were in columbia this is a you know it's a league where you got to handle your business every single night you can't look at any opponent and say oh we're going to be able to sleepwalk through this one because then you you know you get taken advantage of and i think that's certainly something florida doesn't want to have happen to them but if they take care of the games in front of them i mean if they manage to go on the road here and beat south carolina that would be massive for this team just considering the job that coach paris has done up there in columbia if they can win four of their final five games here that would really bode well for this team getting a top four seed in the sec and uh you know getting a top four seed in march madness yeah i think anything shy of 11 conference wins now would be a disappointment you're already at eight 
as you mentioned, Vandy twice and Missouri, the two worst teams in the conference. If you sweep those, you're looking at a minimum of 11 wins, and that's not even counting South Carolina or the home game against Alabama. And I got to figure, Graham, the Rowdy Reptiles in Gainesville will be awfully excited to welcome Alabama into Gainesville after what happened on Wednesday night. Graham Hall, 24-7 Sports. Dot com. Graham, final thought about basketball. Let's go quick here because I want to get to baseball and a little football as we wrap up. Todd Golden, uh, obviously much better year two than year one, cleaned up in the transfer portal. I would have to think people in Gainesville are happy with Golden right now. I would hope so. I, I think that the expectations in Gainesville are obviously high. I mean, you know, I, I hate to bring up Mike White in this situation, but he never won less than nine sec games when he was there and people still didn't think he got the job done as difficult as that is you you have to be uh, a coach that continuously is competing for a chance to make the ncaa tournament here and, and maybe go on a run in the ncaa tournament and that is just extremely high expectations because i've said time and time again in this post-covid era transfer portal era there's going to be a lot of parity and to continuously rebuild your roster be able to compete on a year-to-year basis that is a it's a tall feat and it's really hard to do that. But I think that having seen what he's done in year two, how he's evaluated some under the radar players like Alex Condon, Thomas Haw, gotten guys like Zion Pullen, Walter Clayton to join the program and has put them in a position to succeed. That really bodes well for his future, his ability to lure more talent to Gainesville in the future. And, and I think they're seeing a guy who's extremely likable. He's fiery. He's passionate. He likes being here. If he's not getting National Coach of the Year recognition already, I know that there have been some guys, like I mentioned, Coach Paris certainly deserves to be in that conversation, but Golden is right up there in my mind as well, just given the expectations and what Florida has overcome and how they've retooled their roster. Let's quickly go to the Diamond. It's early, two rainouts, one loss to St. John's, although Florida has uh, come back with back-to-back victories over UNF, my beloved alma mater, over here in Jacksonville. Early, 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 Graham, but what's your early thoughts on Gator baseball? It's a very talented team, absolutely. I mean, you look at how unfortunate that first weekend was with the rain out, not being able to rally back from that 5-9 loss to St. John's, but you see the talent that Kevin O'Sullivan continues to bring into Gainesville. I mean, Peterson was just magical on Tuesday night. This is a team that obviously is the most exciting player in baseball and Jack Caglione and a lot of promising underclassmen around him as well. If you're able to hit your stride before you get to SEC play, that really, really is uh, – that's a good indicator of how good you could be by season's end. Certainly it's a long season here, and they're going to have to, of course, stay healthy. But you're seeing the bats, how already in form they look right now. I mean, you know what? They had 11 hits against UNF on Wednesday night. Certainly um, you saw Peterson out there on Tuesday in that run rule game up there. In Jacksonville, this is a team with a whole lot of talent here, and it's exciting to watch them right now. Obviously, a long season here, and you got to take care of business when you get to conference play, but I think that right now they're off to a very good start, and fans should be excited about going out there and seeing that team at Condren Ballpark. Is there going to be a conversation when it comes to Caglione about one of, if not the best baseball player that's ever played at Florida when his career is over? Well, we'll have to see how long his UF career actually is. I mean, this is a guy – that you know the hype is is real for him right now i'm interested to see how he looks out there on the mound just given having the off season to work on his pitches and and get himself right here obviously one of the best bats in college baseball in my mind you saw that on tuesday night you're going to see that time and time again more often than not 
but in terms of guys who have come through here, I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, Jonathan India recently, obviously, you know, Brady Singer has been fantastic. We've seen a whole lot of really good guys on the mound for him to be in that conversation. I still think it's too early, but in terms of maybe he being the most talented player that has come through Gainesville, I think it's certainly not too early to start having that conversation. How his UF career shakes out is going to really, I think, dictate whether he's in the conversation as one of the greatest Gators of all time here. But certainly, I think it's not too early to say he's one of the most talented that we've seen. All right, Graham. Again, Graham Hall, 247sports.com. Let's quickly get to football as we wrap up. Uh, boy, you know, spring football is right around the corner. The spring game is April 13th, so not that far away. And you knew this was going to be like this this offseason because that schedule ahead of Florida in 2024 – quite frankly, is ridiculous. I can't ever remember a harder schedule in the in the 35 years that I've been watching Florida Gator football. But, man, the lack of expectations nationally. We got over-under win totals, again, of five and a half. We had an analytics formula come out earlier this week that predicted Florida to go two and ten. Now, I think that's ridiculous, Graham. But, again, I was telling Gator fans this last night. Find me right now five surefire wins on that schedule. I mean, five games, and they play 12. I'm not even going about half. Find me five games that you can say without a shadow of a doubt Florida's going to win. I don't think they exist. I mean, they, it's going to be an interesting situation to see what happens with Billy Napier and the Gators this year. It absolutely is going to be interesting, and there's a reason why so many people are already speculating about Billy Napier's you know, future in Gainesville, just given that absolutely brutal gauntlet that you mentioned. I mean, there's not a team in college football that would trade schedules with the Gators this season. I, I think that that is going to be the, of course, the the biggest hindrance to Florida being able to maximize the talent they have on the roster. I think that Billy Napier could fairly make a case that this is the deepest the team has been since he has been there. It's his first year with a returning starting quarterback. Obviously, he has the one-two punch of Graham Mertz and DJ Lagway. The offensive line should take a step forward this season with the additions that they made and, and getting guys like Austin Barber back and the promising freshman from last season, being able to be in roles that we'll see them have a chance to be on the field here. But, but certainly I don't know how you replace guys like Ricky Pearsall. I don't know if they really have a, a true wide receiver as good as him, as good as Eugene Wilson is this year, that this is going to be a, certainly a difficult task for Florida to, like you said, win five or more games this season. I don't buy the, they're just going to go two and 10. I don't think that they're going to be, you know, that, that bad whatsoever. I think that obviously injuries happen during the season. You catch teams off guard. If anyone takes Florida lightly, that's going to work out in their favor in my mind. Obviously no offense to Samford. There's one win right there. And, and it's hard for me to see them go one and you know, one and 10 the rest of the way here. It's not impossible whatsoever, but I would be surprised if this is a team that is sitting there at the end of the season with less than four wins. That would be, in my mind, uh, it'd be kind of a disaster, I think. That, and then you could fairly wonder what Billy Napier's future is or even if he gets through to the end of the season. I, I've told people time and time again, it's a little bit more of a complicated situation than just assuming that if he doesn't hit so-and-so win total, he's not going to be the guy in 2025. I, I think that if you look deeper into the situation at Florida – there's a little more belief in him and understanding that in this crazy NIL transfer portal era and with the gauntlet that Florida faces, that making a rash decision on the guy's future during this season, if you see progress, if you see Florida in close games, if you see tangible improvement, that 
it would actually be worse off for them to start fresh and go in a different direction and maybe lose some of the promising underclassmen that are on this roster. You have to retain your players. And one of the you know biggest ways to make sure you don't do that is to fire the coach. And I think that Florida may have to just kind of grit this thing out, get to 2025, and then make a decision on Billy Napier's future, seeing how this thing continues to improve if the foundation continues to lead to impressive results. It certainly is a situation where I know a lot of people are, are thinking that 2024 is going to be the deciding season. But as you just mentioned, no one else wants that schedule in college football. And I think that just given where Florida's at, that may lead to a little bit more patience and understanding if the Gators are competitive and show fight in all those games. Now, if they aren't, or, you know, God forbid, a scandal arises like we've seen in the past with previous coaches, then certainly the conversation changes. But dictating it solely off how Florida fares in, in those 60 minutes 12 times this season. I don't know if that's really the way that I would look at it right now. I mean, Gator fans, look, you asked for this. You didn't want to play Ball State anymore. You didn't want to play Eastern Kentucky. We need to play the best of the best. Well, all right. Well, now you have 11 Power 5 games. Uh, when you add Miami and UCF and Florida State to your eight conference games, which includes LSU and Georgia and Ole Miss and Texas and Tennessee. So it's one of those things, Graham, to me. Be careful what you ask for because you might get it and you may not like the result when it arrives. Graham Hall of 247sports.com. Graham, great stuff, man. Really appreciate you. We'll do it again around spring football. Looking forward to it. Y'all take care up there. It's always my pleasure, Ryan. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 7 o'clock hour has arrived. We'll take you up to 8 o'clock. We're in for Rick Ballou. Ballou will be back on Monday, 6 o'clock. We'll be back in our regular slot at 8 o'clock here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Coming up at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour, my buddy Andrew Gibson. He has a second year of a program beginning on Sunday. He has River City Hardball. You'll hear that 11 a.m. on Sunday. we got a nice little two-hour lineup for you on Sunday this weekend. River City Hardball, great baseball program with Andrew Gibson. That's followed at noon on Sunday by Open Gym. My buddy R.J. Saunders with an NBA show. So a little Major League Baseball, a little NBA from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock on Sunday here on 1010XL. And we'll have Gibby on to talk about his program, River City Hardball, coming up in about 35 minutes. Coming up next, Adam Stites, Jaguars Wire. That's part of the USA Today Network. What I've done over the last couple of weeks is I'm just gathering opinions, man, from every outlet that covers the Jaguars. I know what I think. I'm curious what other people who cover this team on a daily basis think. I like to compare and contrast, give you guys every direction of where the Jaguars may go come Monday, March the 11th with an offseason outlook. And Adam Stites covers the Jaguars for Jaguars Wire. That's, again, part of USA Today, and he joins us coming up in just a bit. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's a Friday night here in Duval County, and you got it right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason really about to get into full swing. In fact, any time between now and March the 5th, franchise tags can be handed out so we're on Josh Allen watch of course the scouting combine they are on the field for the scouting combine in Indianapolis this time next week and we are less than three weeks away in fact two and a half 
weeks away now from the start of NFL free agency. With all that being said, Adam Stites does a terrific job for Jaguars Wire. That's a part of USA Today, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Adam, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And All right, the offseason. Uh, the Jaguars announced their new coaching additions earlier this week, 10 new coaches in total. Uh, obviously, we knew about Ryan Nielsen. We knew about some of the other guys. Any of the brand-new assistants catch your eye when that announcement was made? Yeah, I think the, the really interesting one is Chris Richard. Uh, you know, he's got quite a pedigree in the NFL. Uh, you know, was with Seattle defensive coordinator for a while during some of their best, better years and then went to Dallas and was really one of their top assistants there. Um, worked together with Nielsen in, in New Orleans. So that's a, that's a very interesting one. I, I also think Jerry Mack, the, the new running backs coach, has a quite the pedigree in the, in the collegiate ranks. Uh, really did great jobs at, at at Tennessee uh, the last three years. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of very interesting names. Those are the two that, that jump to mind as, as the really uh, intriguing hires. You know, I don't know how much this really matters, but I thought it was interesting. I looked over the list. I didn't see a pass game coordinator, right? In the last two years, Jim Bob Cooter was the passing game coordinator. He left. Then you had Nick Holes come in. He left. Maybe this year they're just going to go without a passing game coordinator. Yeah, it's it's possible. It seems it seems that's the the decision they've made, and uh, you know I, I think you always run the risk of having too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, Doug Peterson's obviously an offensive guy. He's going to want to have his input, and then Press Taylor's your offensive coordinator. So, uh, how many guys do you want having access to Trevor Lawrence and your receivers? And I mean, there is a wide receivers coach, there's a quarterbacks coach as well. So, um, it. it it might be smart to, to dial it back a little bit. Let, let Doug Peterson have a little bit more uh, of a hand in, in shaping the way this offense looks. Um, I know Press Taylor hasn't been the most popular guy in Jacksonville as of late. Um, dialing back the, the amount of people who have a hand in this in this operation could be a good idea. Adam Stites, Jaguars Wire, that's a part of USA Today. He's here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Adam, the offseason. We're on Josh Allen watch. I think clearly by March 5th, we're going to either know if there's a long-term contract or a franchise tag. I think any other options than those two would be shocking, correct? Yeah, I think that's accurate. And and I think that it seems like the franchise tag is going to be the move. Um, you know, as, as smart as it would be to get them locked down and, and have that tag available for Calvin Ridley, I think when – you know, as late as the Pro Bowl earlier this month, Josh Allen was still saying that he hasn't had any any contact with the Jaguars about sitting down and having those negotiations. So it, it would be a surprise to me if the Jaguars were able to hammer out a $100 million deal in the, the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, I think that the tag is definitely going to be the move. I don't think there's any way that they, they go past March 5th without – making a decision one way or another on, on how they're going to keep him. But the, they, but he will be here. The absolutely crazy thing, I, I talked about this earlier this week, go back 24 years to the year 2000. Tony Brackens, one of the best DNs in the NFL at the time, maybe the best DN right now in Jaguar history until Josh Allen probably passes him, signed a six-year, $38 million deal. <laughs> and that was gigantic money in the year 2000. Here we are a quarter century later 
and Josh Allen's going to be a $100 million man, and he's not even going to be the highest paid edge rusher in the league. It's just it's nuts where the money has gone. Adam, you mentioned Calvin Ridley. All right, now let's go there. Common thought was if you can sign Allen, you franchise Ridley. Well, that does not appear to be the case as of right now. If they franchise Allen, it appears Ridley hits the market on Monday, March 11th, and then in your opinion, what happens with Ridley's future here in Jacksonville? I think they really want to keep Ridley here. It seems like all parties want to make sure that something gets done. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this, the the framework of the trade to acquire him. Uh, if they were to sign a deal before March 13th, an extension to keep him here, uh, it would send a second round pick to the Falcons. I don't think the Jaguars by any means want to make that happen. I think they're going to do whatever they need to do to make sure that no second round pick goes to Atlanta. And I think the loophole that they're going to try to exploit is to let him hit the market and then re-sign him very shortly after that. Maybe even have a deal you know, in place before that, that day comes and, and let him hit the market, even if it's only for a few hours. Um, you know, last year, they, we saw a few players hit the market and then return to Jacksonville very quickly. Trey Herndon was one. Uh, you know, so I think it, it's going to be difficult. Uh, there's there's not going to be a, a shortage of interest. I think as soon as that tampering period opens, there's going to be a lot of, you know, calls on, on Calvin's phone. So uh, it's a risky strategy, but that's what I think they're going to try to do is, is try to get him back, but not until maybe May until March 14th, maybe. Yeah, that was weird from the Falcons' perspective. I know we've talked a lot about that. That's a fumble on their part, right, to have the wording in there. I mean, they're going to cost themselves an extra round pick, it looks like, when the Jaguars do that loophole, if that's the way it turns out. That's bad business by the Falcons, right? Yeah, it would, it would certainly seem so. That's uh, yeah, a, a pretty massive oversight, it would seem, or at the very least um, a, a – a risky proposition to to suggest that you know the Jaguars are are going to just hand over that second round pick by doing the extension ahead of time. Adam Stites, Jaguars Wire, part of USA Today. So quickly, Josh Allen, in your opinion, will be back. You also believe Calvin Ridley returns? Yeah, I would I would lean yeah that direction. R Josh Allen, I think, is no question. R Ridley, I would say maybe 75% chance that he's back. Now, ironically enough, you could argue the third most important free agent for the Jaguars was only here for like nine games, and that was Ezra Cleveland, who they acquired at the trade deadline. He hits the market. Now, we know the interior offensive line was awful last year, just horrible, but I thought Ezra Cleveland was okay at times. He's a guy that I wouldn't mind seeing coming back. What's your opinion on him, and do you think the Jaguars get something done there? Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you on that. In in that he looked, uh, he had his moments. Uh, I think he was kind of tossed into a to a new scheme in a, in a rough situation with not a whole lot of stability. He even had to go play left tackle for the first time in his career in one game. So I think it's tough to judge him too harshly for how this season went. Uh, I think they're going to try to get him back. Uh, I don't think they were handing out a sixth round pick just for, for nine games um, with no intent of having him be a piece here. Uh, they reunited him with Phil Rauscher, the, his offensive line coach in Minnesota and now in Jacksonville. Uh, Rauscher's still here. It's one of his guys. So I, I do think they're going to try to get something done. I think the question is just how expensive does Ezra Cleveland 
end up being. If he's looking to really test the market and find himself a big deal, uh, I don't think the Jaguars are ready to go hand something huge out. Um, but if if it's a reasonable amount and you know he they feel like he can compete for a starting role or even be a, a versatile backup, um, yeah, I think he's the guy they'd like to have back. Yeah, what caught me off guard, I had the guys from Spot Track on who this is all they do, right? Contracts, free agency and whatnot. They think Cleveland's market could be pretty big because not many 27-year-old guards with 50 starts in the NFL get onto the market. So we'll see if there becomes a bidding war for Ezra Cleveland. And if uh, he leaves, that would obviously leave another hole on the Jaguar offensive line. Quickly, Adam, because I want to start talking about guys that may be cap casualties. Some of the longest-tenured Jaguars are free agents. Dewan Smoot, Tyler Shatley. In fact, I believe those are the two longest-tenured Jaguars. Um Caleb on chase on. I think we all know the answer there. Do you expect any of those guys to be back? Um, I, I could see Shatley maybe on a, on a very cheap deal. Um, I, I don't, I don't think they're, they're going to be interested in keeping Smoot. Uh, it just, he, he wasn't there last year. I, he came back, he played 12 games, which is a pretty solid sample size. And he got one sack for him. His, his snaps kind of dwindled late in the year. He was barely on the field in week 18. Um, I, I just don't – I don't think they, they see a future there. Shatley, at the very least, is a guy who has, can play a lot of different positions and has shown that he can just kind of step in and give you a, an okay performance. So th- if they're going to be really reconstructing this line, uh, I don't think there's any way they want Tyler Shatley being – a starter or even competing for a starting role, but it is good to have versatile backups and, and depth. And he has shown that he can be that guy. So if, if he's cheap, that one makes sense. I don't see it for smooth. And, you know, I think Trey Herndon's another guy who's a long tenured player who I, I would, I would guess his time is here is up here as well. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about four of the longest tenured guys, you know, with chase on with Herndon, with Shatley and and with Smoot. I agree with you with Shatley. At this point in his career, if he's not going to get big money, and he's not going to get big money, he probably doesn't really want to go anywhere else, right? He's been a Jaguar his entire career. If they want to have him back, they probably have a good chance of bringing him back. That brings us, again, Adam Stites of Jaguars Wire, part of USA Today. That brings us, Adam, to guys that may be cap casualties. And two of the biggest ones are on the offensive line, and Brandon Sheriff, and Cam Robinson. What is your expectation there? Are they back in Jaguar uniforms here in 2024? Uh, I would lean Sheriff, no. Cam Robinson, yes. Um, I, I think Sheriff, uh, he's, he's just getting paid a lot of money to be a decent, good, not great player uh, at this point in his career. They, they have the opportunity to save a lot and maybe go after uh, a much more exciting kind of framework piece maybe like a robert hunt from the dolphins or or one of the one of these free agents interior linemen who could step in and and maybe give you even better play for longer time period of time so um i I think sheriff no robinson i i I would be i probably surprised if he was gone just because he gave this team so much juice last year but um if they were to to Part, part ways with him I would I would imagine there's a trade market for him um there's just not a whole lot of you know left tackles in their 20s who can who can start right away 
and, and it's it's not a great price tag, but it's one that I think a lot of teams would be willing to pay. So I, I don't think there there makes it makes a whole lot of sense to just cut ties with them uh, via a release. I think if you can find a trade market for them, that might be the way to do it. Yeah, Cam Robinson's the big one. You would save seventeen million, but with that, you got to find another left tackle. And Anton Harrison, there's been some talk there about moving him. Maybe Walker Little. I don't know. Cam played pretty well when he was in there last year. Darius Williams is another one. I think you save like $11 million if you cut Darius Williams. But again, Adam, the problem there, if you cut Darius Williams, you got to go out and find another starting cornerback. Yeah, I think that's a, you know more of a tail wagging the dog situation where I think if you're planning on getting an, another cornerback, which – Ryan Nielsen kind of seemed to, to really value corners and it seemed like he, he really wants to get, uh, you know, guys that can hold, you know, really press and, and play tight coverage and allow the, the defensive line to get after the quarterback. If they're feeling like corner is the move, to, the way to go, then it makes sense to get rid of Darius Williams, I think. But uh, I wouldn't get, put yourself in a hole just to put yourself in a hole and then need to go find one. So, um, yeah, that, that that's I, – I think Darius Williams is a tough call. Uh, he played pretty well, but he is also turning 31 pretty soon. I think in the secondary, Rayshon Jenkins might be the uh, the easier call. Um, you can save a, a, a good bit of his salary by, by parting ways with him and then turn that secondary over to either Dewey Wingard or Antonio Johnson battling for that starting role next year. And Adam, as we begin to wrap up, I agree with you. Rayshon Jenkins, I think at this point it would almost be a surprise if he was back. Everybody's seeming to talk about Antonio Johnson taking that spot. And the, the more puzzling one to me is Zay Jones. I think Pro Football Focus had Zay as one of the prime cut candidates. Here's my thought. I'm interested in yours. If the Jaguars feel good about bringing Ridley back and they feel like that's going to happen, well then, okay, maybe at that point you cut Zay Jones. But if there's any chance of losing Calvin Ridley, you cannot cut Zay Jones because you cannot lose both of those guys. So whether they maybe they wait till they see if they re-sign Calvin, and at that point maybe you cut Zay. I don't know, but it would be a disaster to lose both of them. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think Zay is a guy that he he could be a cap casualty, but I think he might be like an August cap casualty if. They've added Royce Tavers and they get into camp and they feel like he's the fourth or fifth best receiver on the roster. And, and at that point, that, that extra $4 million might be able to get you, help you go find a, you know, a veteran pass rusher on the market or something like that. But um, at this point, it, it's not that much money. You eat a lot of dead space. I, I know his t $10 million cap hit is, is a little large for what he offers, but you can't get all that $10 million back. So I, I don't see a whole lot of value in, in cutting ties with him now, especially when your wide receiver group, like you said, is, is in flux. And he, there's just not a whole lot of depth there. I, I think Zay Jones has been a guy. They, they didn't pay a lot to get him, and they got – more than probably what they, they bargained for when they got him. So I, I, I don't see any reason to, to part with him now. Adam, tell us about Jaguars Wire, man, part of USA Today. What can people expect when they head on over to the website? Yeah, we, we keep up with uh, all the latest. Uh, a little bit of analysis, a little bit of news. Uh, you know, we'll have mock drafts, you know, running through through April and analysis on all the, the potential picks and the, the free agent signings. So, yeah, 
anything and everything you want as a Jaguars fan. Adam Stites, Jaguars Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Adam, we appreciate it, man. The first time you and I have talked, it won't be the last. Thank you, brother. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, appreciate you for having me. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Now that football has winded down and the season is over, there's a lot of sports that are really going to start getting the center of attention, and one of those is baseball on the diamond. College baseball has already started. In fact, Major League Baseball, there are spring training games that started uh, yesterday, in fact, on Thursday. So there is a lot going on, no question about that. When it comes to baseball, our guy here on 1010XL is the host of River City Hardball, year number two for that show on this radio station. My buddy Andrew Gibson, Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., and Gibby joins us here on Hacker After Dark. Gibby, how you doing? Doing great, man. I know we all love football season, but I cannot wait when baseball season comes around Beautiful weather outside. Uh, baseball is ongoing right now. High school, college, pros getting ready to go. Like you said, spring training is here. I'll be at Atlanta Braves spring training in two weeks uh, over in Northport near the Sarasota area. So I can't wait, man. Fired up about it. You are a diehard. There is no question about that. So let's talk about the show. First and foremost, it's back for year two. You're going to be on one Sunday a month. It begins this Sunday at 11 a.m. Uh, River City Hardball, hosted by Andrew Gibson. And, in fact, you're going to start there on location uh, for your first show. Yeah, that's right. My friends at DBAT Jacksonville, they've been a proud sponsor of River City Hardball. I really appreciate Zach and those guys for uh, supporting the show. And we're going to be at the Powers Avenue location Sunday morning, 11 a.m., right here on 1010XL. And, of course, now, as you know, Hack, with uh, the video streaming, we've got the opportunity to do that with all of our shows as well. So that's exciting as well. And, uh, yeah, we're fired up. We're going to be at the Powers Avenue uh, DBAT Jacks facility. So come check us out. We'll be live on location there on Sunday morning. You'll see high school, college, some professional players come in there and get their work in. It's a, it's a baseball and softball training facility locally here in Jacksonville. They're very excited about building a brand new one over for the Green Cove, Clay County people. So I know all the baseball and softball programs and schools over there are very excited about that one. But we will be at Powers Avenue, D-Bat Jacks on Sunday morning, and we look forward to it. River City Hardball hosted by Andrew Gibson again Sunday morning at 11 a.m. here on 1010XL. Gibby, what started the high school ranks and work our way upward. I was out at the media day at the Riverside YMCA, the high school 912 media day. You were there as well. Certainly a lot of really good talent in the high school ranks, including a couple of guys committed to Florida and a guy also committed to Florida State. Yeah, the talent here locally in Jacksonville when it comes to baseball is among the best in the country, and uh, that's saying a whole lot, and it really is true because you look at a guy like Hunter Carnes who's going to join us on Sunday morning at 11.20, had an opportunity to interview Hunter at uh, the Spring Sports Media Day this week, and Hunter is regarded, Hack, as the best player in high school baseball in Jacksonville. He's regarded by some as the best player in the country, not just here in Jacksonville, not just in Florida, but perhaps Hunter Carnes, the catcher at First Coast High School, is regarded by many as the best player in the country. And so that's pretty awesome to have a guy like that here in the city of Jacksonville. I've known Hunter since he was even before a freshman. I know their coach, Stephen Barnes, told me but when he was in seventh or eighth grade, he said, in a couple of years, you're going you're gonna to be hearing this name. You're going to watch out for this guy. So I've known Hunter since he was probably eighth, ninth grade. 
and now he's signed to Florida State. We'll see if he gets there because there are projections that say that Hunter's going to be drafted perhaps in the top 100 in the Major League Draft uh, this summer. So uh, that's very exciting. Hunter's going to join us 11:20 on Sunday morning on River City Hardball. And you know, there's a bunch of guys here in this area. It's not just Hunter. There's Skylar Sanford who's going to Florida. He's signed there. Skyler uh, was at Bartram Trail. He's now at St. John's Country Day. Brett Myers, former pitcher in the in the big leagues for many years, his son Colt is signed to play at Florida. He's at St. John's Country Day. There are so many uh, ridiculously talented guys. There's another Florida guy at Bishop Snyder. Uh, Aiden King is a pitcher that's uh, on his way to Florida as well. Uh, there's so many guys that are going to JU and UNF. Uh, let's not forget about those guys as well. FSCJ is loaded with a bunch of talent as well. And, you know, I talked to a lot of these coaches and, and all of them around the city, and they try to keep the guys here, Hack. You know, that's a big uh, tr- push for coaches in college to try to keep local kids here. And the high school baseball coaches are really trying to do that with the high school talent here because it's just that good. Andrew Gibson here with us, the host of River City Hardball, Sunday morning, 11 a.m. here on 1010XL. You mentioned college baseball, Gibby. Let's get there. The season is super young, right? I mean, I think most of these teams have played somewhere between four and five games, so we are right at the beginning of the season. Florida not off to the best start, two rainouts, and they lose to St. John's, although they came back and beat UNF in back-to-back games. Uh, Florida State looked very good in a series opening win uh, there in Tallahassee. And then UNF and JU, it, it's tough for particularly like UNF, right, because they have to play Florida right out of the gate. But what's your expectation locally in regards to college baseball this year? Well, I think starting with JU and UNF uh, from the Jackson, Jacksonville perspective, I think JU is going to be really good. JU's got uh, uh, several local guys on their team. You know, JU is a team that tries to go in the transfer portal and pick out guys that fit their program, and they're a team that embraces the portal. They're going to bring in guys and, and take chances on a few guys. They brought in a local kid uh, who actually initially went to uh, Tennessee, Tanner Zellum, is an infielder, probably going to be third base. We'll see where he shakes out here in the early part of the season. But Tanner Zellum went to Bowles. He's from Fleming Island. He went, he went to high school at Bowles. And he started out as a freshman at the University of Tennessee. And JU got him back in the transfer portal, brought him back here to Jacksonville. And so they've got a really good talent there. You look at what they've got on the mound this year. That's going to be the strength of the JU team this year. Evan Crest was a freshman All-American last year for JU. He set the strikeout record as a freshman at JU last season. Crest was a draft pick in high school by the Miami Marlins. He went to college, Jacksonville University. Very fortunate to get him. He's going to be the ace of the staff. He's a preseason uh, pitcher of the year over at JU. So Evan Crest is somebody that you're really going to need to watch this year over at JU. Justin Nato, he's playing on the infield primarily at second base. He's a Bartram Trail kid. And he's one of the best hitters in this city. He hit 300 as a freshman last year, coming back for his sophomore year. Justin Nato is a guy to watch over there at uh, JU. Let's go look. Uh, and, and look, the expectations for JU, Chris Hayes has been there a long time. He's a JU guy through and through. He played there. He's the coach there. And I think they're going to have a good season. There have been some projections that say JU might win the A-Sun this year. They're just that good. They've brought in a couple of new guys that are really going to help their program out this year. You look on the UNF side, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a rebuild with, with UNF because, unfortunately, we lost uh, Tim Parenton, the former coach at UNF, um, lost his battle with cancer last year, a very sad situation, and we're all, you know, feeling for their family, and they honored 
Uh, him, his family, uh, before the first pitch of the Florida game the other night, his wife, uh, Sheila, threw out the first pitch, and that was a very emotional moment. And Joe Mercadante takes over as the uh, new head coach this year at UNF, and uh, he's building his program. That's, that's what's happening right, right now at UNF. And one of the, the things that I love that UNF does, Hack, is they, they build from local talent here. If you look at the UNF roster, they've got guys from Fletcher. They've got guys from Bishop Kinney all over the place. They're bringing in kids that are local to Jacksonville, and I love to see that. Cherokee Nichols has had a hot start to the year. One of their outfielders battled some injuries last year, but he's finally healthy again. Nichols, a power-type hitter. He went to high school locally here at Fletcher. Uh, you've got uh, Tony Roca's a Pontevedra guy. He's one of their top pitchers. Brett Dennis is a freshman from from Providence who really uh, took the Stallions on a good run to the uh, deep in the playoffs last year in high school baseball. He's going to make a big contribution for them this year. Connor Moore comes over from Florida State. He's a transfer uh, who's now playing third base now. He played shortstop in high school. He played shortstop a little bit at Florida State. Connor Moore played at St. John's Country Day, and he's come over uh, from Florida State back home to the Jacksonville area at UNF. So, you know, look for look for UNF to make some noise, but I think it's a, it's a year one uh, rebuild right now for Mercadante, the new head coach over at UNF. And when you look at Florida and Florida State, Florida's a top-five team in the country. They've got talent across the board. Jack Caglione is a, is a freak, let's be honest. He's a monster. He throws 100 miles an hour. His exit velocity off the bat's over 100. He's going to be probably the player of the year in, in college baseball this year. Jack Caglione is just a, an absolute beast. And I, I'm going to try to get over to Gainesville and try to watch him this year because you don't see talent hacker like that come around very often. He is legitimately the Otani of, of college baseball, and it's pretty cool to see. Liam Peterson, he's a freshman stud at Florida who got the, the, the start the other night here in Jacksonville against UNF, struck out seven in his first career start. So he might be the freshman of the year in the country, Liam Peterson for the Gators. And uh, look, I mean, they're a top five team. Their, their talent is going to take them a long way. They got to the final series last year, and I would, I would expect that they'll probably get there again this year with the talent they have. You know, Florida State, you look at them, um, Link Jarrett is, is trying to build his program. He's, he's a couple years now as the head coach, and uh, I think that he's finally starting to get the guys that he wants in there. I would look for Florida State to be very competitive in the ACC, and we'll see if they can make it back to Omaha. I think Link Jarrett is a guy that uh, his, his talent as a coach can certainly get him there. You'll get a lot more of this. River City Hardball this Sunday at 11 a.m. here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM, hosted by my buddy Andrew Gibson. Gibby, in the time we have left, hard to believe spring training games are now being played in the Cactus League. The Grapefruit League will follow pretty soon. You mentioned you're going to go down and see the Braves in a week or two here. Um, a lot of excitement, obviously. Uh, real quick, we got about two minutes. Big storylines of the offseason for guys like me that are just now catching up. Obviously, Otani to the Dodgers. I guess Glass now to the Dodgers, too, right? The Dodgers had an incredible offseason. Are they the biggest story coming into the year? Without a doubt. I mean, the biggest story is who did the Dodgers not get this offseason because they went after everybody and pretty much got who they wanted. Um, they they got a pitcher from Japan who's regarded as one of the best players in the world. Uh, he comes over from Japan to be inserted into their rotation. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers are the biggest story. They get Otani. Um, Otani is, uh, looks pretty healthy. He had Tommy John surgery, uh, his second Tommy John, by the way, 
uh, in September. He's not going to pitch this year, but he will hit. He will DH this year for the Dodgers. And look, Hackamy, he looks pretty healthy to me. He took his first BP of spring training uh, a week or so ago. I think he took 21 swings and he hit 10 homers. So I think Otani's going to be just fine as the DH. You've certainly got so much talent there with the Dodgers. They're going to be the favorite to win the World Series. The Braves will be behind them. Other storylines uh, this offseason, Juan Soto goes to the New York Yankees. That's a huge acquisition for the Yankees. They're going to be one of the top odds to, to make it to the World Series, potentially win it. The Astros not having Dusty Baker anymore. Uh, he retired last last year after the season was over, so they've got a new manager. The reigning World Series champion, the Texas Rangers. Uh, let's not forget about what they did last year. Adolis Garcia, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, those guys uh, have a ton of talent. The Phillies are always going to be a team to, to watch. And the Baltimore Orioles are a team I'm really looking at this year, Hack. They won the East last year. And now they add a guy like Corbin Burns. He's, he was the ace of the Milwaukee Brewers. He now comes over to Baltimore, and I think he's got a chance to push them over the top and get them to a World Series this year. Give me a final question. What about Tampa? I know they lost – or they traded glass now. I know they lost a couple other guys, but that seemingly happens to them every year, and their minor league system is so good that these all-stars leave and guys come in and they seemingly don't miss a beat. Is Tampa going to be competitive? I, you know, I think they'll be competitive, but this, I think, is going to be the biggest challenge that Kevin Cash and his crew have had in years because they don't have McClanahan. They now don't have Glass now. He's over with L.A. So they're really trying to retool it over there in Tampa. I'm looking at some odds right now. Is According to what I've got here, the sports line odds from CBS, the, the Rays have the 11th best odds to win the World Series, and you've seen them higher than that in recent years. I think it's going to be a challenge this year for the Rays, but it's a much tougher division, as we know, in the East with Soto and the guys that we just mentioned, Corbin Burns going to the Orioles. But you know, you never count out the Rays, do you? They get guys you seemingly haven't heard of, and they, and they turn it around and figure it out. I think they'll be competitive, but I think it'll be a challenge this year for the Rays. All right, Gibby, leave us with this. River City Hardball, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., 1010XL, 92.5 FM. What can people look forward to? Well, I appreciate the time here today, Hack. We've got Hunter Carnes, the star catcher from First Coast, is going to join us at 11.20. Also in that segment, we're going to talk to Jonathan Murphy, the head coach of Trinity Christian. They've got a tremendous team this year. Jonathan, the brother of Daniel Murphy, he said he's got guys on this team that uh, the most talented roster he's ever coached, and he, this is now his fifth year at Trinity, so Jonathan's going to join us for a few minutes. And this is a pretty cool treat. So this weekend at the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp Stadium, they're going to have the College Baseball Classic. It's a round-robin tournament with teams like Auburn, Iowa, Wichita State, and Virginia are in town in Jacksonville this weekend playing ball. And we've got two local guys from Auburn and Virginia – Bradley Hodges is a pitcher for Virginia. He's going to join me on the show as well. And then Tanner Bauman is a pitcher at Auburn who pitched at Atlantic Coast. Bradley went to St. John's Country Day. Both those guys are back in town with Auburn and Virginia. I'm going to have a chance to speak with them today. It'll be aired on the show on Sunday about 1140 on Sunday morning. So looking forward to catching up with those local guys at Auburn and Virginia. Andrew Gibson. Gibby, you're an encyclopedia when it comes to baseball, man. I know you love it. River City Hardball, Sunday morning, 11 a.m. right here on 1010XL. Thank you, my friend. We'll be listening. All right, Hack. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you. And thank you to my buddy Andrew Gibson. Again, you will hear River City Hardball. 
Sunday morning at 11 a.m. here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. In fact, we got a nice little two-hour slate for you on Sunday. You'll have River City Hardball at 11 a.m., and then at noon on Sunday, you'll have Open Gym hosted by R.J. Saunders, which is an NBA program. So a little baseball and a little NBA basketball from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock on Sunday here on 1010XL. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see in the college baseball ranks. Florida looks like they're going to be very good. Florida State is off to a hot start. And as Gibby told you, JU feels very good about their chances to potentially win the A-Sun Conference. So we'll see what happens as baseball gets fired up. College is already underway, and spring training games are already being played out in the Cactus League, and that will soon follow suit down here in the Grapefruit League. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Friday night and really a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. We've been in for Baloo this week. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Andrew Gibson, River City Hardball, Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Thank you to Adam Stites, Jaguars Wire, which is part of the USA Today Network. Appreciate Adam joining us to look at the Jags' off-season outlook. And uh, he had some really interesting thoughts about guys that he believes will stay as the Jaguar free agents and guys he believes will be gone in a couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens. Again, NFL free agency, 17 days away. Thank you to Graham Hall, 24-7 Sports down in Gainesville. Florida basketball looks to get back on the winning track tomorrow against Vanderbilt. Gator baseball in full swing. Obviously, there's always stuff to talk about with the football program, so we appreciate Graham Hall for joining us. And back in hour number one, my buddy Eric Edholm of NFL.com as we look ahead to the Combine next week up in Indianapolis. Certainly appreciate Eric taking time out for us here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm sorry. We'll be back uh, not tomorrow. We're going to take tomorrow off, obviously, so are most of you. We'll be back Monday night at our original time, 8 o'clock, and we will do it all over again here on Hacker After Dark. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending your Friday evening and your entire week with us here on Hacker After Dark. As always, we certainly, certainly appreciate it. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday evening and a fantastic weekend, and we will do it all over again Monday night, beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.